when I was um, in the seminary, I, uh, we all had to take one year this uh, particular course. It was like a field course in um, kind of like hospital ministry. I think, I think the title of it was uh, Pastoral Care of the Sick. Basically, ministering to people that are, you know, sick in hospitals, uh, people who are dying, ministering to family members of those who have died. Um, I was out at Stony Brook, the hospital in Stony Brook. We'd go once a week, my classmates and I, and we'd go for a whole day, for the entire year. It was two, two semesters. We were assigned a chaplain. We'd meet with him or her um, in the morning. And then we'd get a list of people, like a roster of people that we had to go visit. And we'd really just work the floors. We'd do that for a couple of hours. And then at the end of maybe, maybe then we'd have lunch, and then we'd, um, then we'd meet with our chaplains individually and kind of discuss the experience. I hated it. I really, I really hated this experience. Um, I'm not good in hospitals. I never have been. I'm not good with blood, and tubes, and smells. I get lightheaded. Um, it's awful. So I really found this experience to be pretty brutal. Um, and I knew I had to do it. But there was even more. It got even more difficult in a sense. It wasn't just the, the hospital stuff that was tough. It were these visits, um, the nature of them, because we were, we'd go into these rooms completely uninvited. Like it wasn't like somebody said, uh, requested to see a church person. I wasn't, you know, we weren't priests, so it wasn't even like I could, you know, give them the anointing of the sick. Half the time, these people weren't even Catholic or even Christian. You know, and I'd be knocking on the door, I'd come walking in, and I'd be just like beyond bru uh, awkward. Hi, I'm, I'm Brian, I'm, I'm a seminarian. Um, would you like to talk about, you know, would you like to talk? You know, and they'd, they'd look at me half the time like, no, <laughs> like, you know, what do you want to talk about? And, how are you feeling? You know, and the look would be like, how do you think I'm feeling? I'm in the hospital. Like, so it was just, it was terrible. It was so, it was kind of intrusive. Um, and I'm afraid I'm going to like throw up on the person half the time or I'm, I'm going to pass out, you know. So it was just a really rough experience. And as time went by, it got worse. I just was like, I was completely in this denial thing. We would have to, each week we'd have to, um, pick a couple of our meetings with patients, and we had to write it up. What we had to do, it was, we called them the verbatims, and you'd have to, uh, as best as you could, it could, you'd have to remember what the conversation was about. So it would be like, you know, I walked into the room, and I said this, and I wrote it down, and then the patient said that, and then, you know, as much as you could remember, you'd have to write this down. Um, and then and at the end, I'd have to like, you know, reflect on how I felt it went. It was, again, it was a very kind of forced thing. And uh, 
I tell you, it got so bad, I was like hiding in the stairwells when I, I was supposed to be visiting these people and I just, I was like, I'm just not gonna do it. And uh, I was pretending I was visiting people and I wasn't, these verbatims. That was a disgrace. I was like, I was making up these verbatims. I was like pretending, it was like fictional conversations I'm having with people. Um, they should have thrown my butt out of the seminary. I, I'm telling you, it was like, I was, I was like cheating. I was like cheating on a hospital course. Well, eventually I got caught. Um, uh, a uh, chaplain, it wasn't my chaplain, it was one of the other ones. Uh, she was reading one of my verbatims and she just could tell this was bogus. This is, I don't, she didn't think this was accurate. And then she, she saw me lurking in the stairwell one day, so she put two and two together and she kind of called me aside and I kind of came clean. I just told her how hard I was finding this, how I wanted to be a priest, but I never wanted to be a hospital chaplain. And she was very good to me. She was very understanding. And she said, okay, well, why don't you just stay with me? You know, when I, when I do the floors and meet with people, just shadow me. Um, and I, I jumped at that because I would, it meant she was going to be taking the lead. Just watch, basically, I watch how I do it. That's what she kind of said. And I ended up having, like, some, some really great experiences and, and great conversations, kind of watching this pro in action. I remember this specifically, it was these, uh, I remember she asked me to observe, after being with her for a couple of visits, a couple of weeks, she asked me to, she said, start making a, a mental note of how people who have faith deal with suffering and how people of faith deal with dying and grief. And make note of that, she said. And then the opposite, she said, watch how people who have no faith die and how their family deals with loss when they themselves have either no faith or, or little faith. And we compare it And there was such a difference. Once she kind of told me to like watch for it, it became so clear. You'd walk into a room and if, if they happened to be, if it happened to be a person of faith and their family was there and they too were people of faith, so often the experience was so different. There just was kind of a strength and a peace that these believers had. And I'm not saying there was no fear and there was you know, no sadness. I'm not saying it was a happy place. But there was a strength and there was a peace. Sometimes it would be the, the spouse of, the, of the, the person who was dying or it was the, the kids or the grandkids. And Anyway, at the end of the course, we had to write a paper kind of like a mini thesis. This is completely what I ended up writing about. I wrote about the way that people of faith handle death. 
the way they handle pain and loss and suffering. Like there really was a way. There was kind of a way to do it. Different people, they didn't have identical faith, but they had this way. Like there really is a way. I think it's what he's talking about in this gospel. Jesus to the disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God, have faith also in me. Thomas, well, show us the way. I'm the way. He says, I'm the way. If you want to get to God, just go as far as me. If you know me, you know God. It's like a shortcut. And you know what I think? Most of those people in those hospital rooms who seem to be stronger and kind of more at peace and less anxious and less panicked, I think they, they had a sense of this way. They knew God was there. They knew they weren't alone. They knew this wasn't the end. This way kind of led to hope and healing. And for those left behind, almost like a re recovery. And those who didn't kind of have that instinct, they seemed to, it just did, it wasn't as good for them. It was, it was, it's like cramming for a test. You know, when you cram for a test, okay, I'm gonna try and jam as much into my brain as I can at the last minute, and hopefully I remember it and I'll kind of like spew it out. You know, and if you're lucky, you remember most, but a week later, you remember pretty much nothing. Versus the person who's like kind of been like embracing this subject, whatever it is, and like they know it, they, they know the material. So they're able to answer the questions like with a confidence and a, a kind of a peace. It's like a knowledge of who Christ is. A friend of mine gave me this article not too long ago. It's a great article. In fact, I made copies of it. They're at the doors of the church. You should grab one on your way out. And it's talking about not hospital, not people in hospitals. It's talking about kids today. But similar stuff going on. Kids that are scared and anxious. Kind of the way these people in these hospital rooms, the ones who didn't know the way, so often seemed to be. Anyway, listen to this. The, ti the, ti uh, the title is, If Your Kids Are Unhappy, Take Them to Church. It seems like every time I turn around and an editor assigns me a story related to the mental health crises of our children. Most of the experts I speak to correlate COVID lockdowns and our children's fragile state. Closing schools played a major role in this phenomenon, no doubt. But what if other crucial factors are being overlooked? Another story seemingly unrelated to the mental health crisis is making the rounds in the press. 
Church attendance is on rapid decline. Those who say they have no religious affiliation are the fastest growing group in the United States every year. We now have a generation of adults that grew up not attending worship services weekly, and they're raising their kids in a similar fashion. They seem to prefer a, prefer a parenting style that says, we're fine without church and worship and religious instruction and institutions. Thank you very much. But they're not fine. The children are not coping and they're mani and, and managing the day-to-day -day stresses and inconveniences thrown at them. They're fragile and increasingly so. We clutter their calendars with sports, theater, STEM clubs, and dance classes. And if none of that pans out, we allow our kids to self-medicate with hours spent on social media. Parents will do all of this, but they won't take them to church. Yet, research shows that children who attend weekly worship have higher GPAs, they score higher on standardized tests, and they're less likely to be held back a grade. So why aren't parents taking their kids to church? And she says, because they don't want to go. The parents, I mean, the kids don't want to go to church. Okay. And then she says, well, so what? There's lots of things kids don't want to do. Why all of a sudden are we, are we getting democratic when it comes to going to church. We make our kids wear seatbelts. We make them go to school. We make them get vaccinations. Like, we make them do tons of things. They don't like it, but we say you have to do it because it won't be good if you don't. So why is church good for kids who are sad? Why is church good for people in hospital rooms? Well, this article, she cites this Harvard uh, study, which just talked about benefits of faith, kids and practice of faith. And it's flat out, they're happier, they're more successful just in very measurable ways. Less anxiety, less depression, less drug use. They're more open to service, helping people. She says, we think we can combat all the negativity by telling our kids, you're perfect, you're just awesome. Just keep being you. We put these pithy platitudes on t-shirts and backpacks. But at the end of the day, our kids know that this is no substitute for the real deal. At church, you get the real deal. Each of us knows these sentiments are superficial. Where do we go with all of our baggage when the church isn't an option? We go to therapists and pharmacists. But trends show that the last place parents wanna go is the place actually offering a solution? What could families find at church that they won't find anywhere else? Hopefully something that's woefully lacking in the world around them. The truth. Newsflash. 
kids, you're not perfect. You know that mean thing you did to your classmate in the cafeteria? That was a sin. That was wrong. That nasty thought you had about that person, that was a sin too. And the snide comment you made to your mother walking through the kitchen, that was wrong as well. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Good news, you've come to the right place. Jesus came for sinners. As a matter of fact, the church is filled with them. Each week they come to hear the message that even though we're sinful, Jesus died for those sins. And when we confess them, we can receive forgiveness, a clean slate. Will we mess up again next week? Of course we will. But that's why we can look forward to church. Can we try harder to be better people, kinder people? You bet we can. Does our forgiveness depend upon what we do and how we perform each week? No, it doesn't. We're forgiven because God loves us that much. So much so that he sent his son to take the punishment that should have been yours and mine. Imagine what a burden could be lifted from our kids if they had a place to go each week that offered them that grace. How much better could they cope with a bad day, knowing that each moment offers a fresh start? How much more resilient could our kids become? I mean, how true is that? Who doesn't know? Kids. For whom this place has just become foreign. You know, we had First Communions this morning, St. Mary's, and they're awesome. Like, what's better than a First Communion? But I'm telling you, you look, at, you look out and you see some of these families, it's like, have you ever been in a church? Like, have, have you no, no sense of what's sort of appropriate to wear in a church, what to say in a church? how to behave in a church. Like for some, it really has become just so cultural. Excuse for a, bar, a party. And I kind of worry for those kids. I think they're going to be like those people in the hospital rooms in Stony Brook when they're losing their mom or their husband or they're losing their own life. Like they just won't know the way. Some knew the way, and some didn't. Pursue the way. Take somebody you love along with you.